Well, good afternoon. It's good afternoon. Good morning, I guess it still is. It's good to see you here this morning as we gather to worship our God together. On the back of your bulletins are the announcements. The only thing I would mention is that we will be coming to the Lord's table this afternoon. So I pray that you will prepare your hearts for gathering around that table this afternoon. The other announcements, I think, are self-explanatory. So as they apply, please take heed to them. Suppose if I would ask you the question, what is it about this past week that maybe you could boast about? Maybe something that's happened or some event or we who are grandparents probably have many things we might want to boast about. But I'm reminded of the words of Jeremiah chapter 9 where we read, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast in his might, and let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him that boast, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. And so I pray that this morning, Yahweh is delighting in our gathering together as we recognize Him to be Lord and that we know Him. What a delight, what a privilege to know Yahweh, to have that relationship with Him. Will you just prepare your hearts to meet with Him this morning? Inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It's from Psalm 100. We will sing it together. We'll sing it to the tune of of the doxology. So would you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with the singing of Psalm 100, the first three verses.
hymn book and turn to number 53, which we give praise to Jehovah. Number 53, hallelujah, praise Jehovah. Oh, my soul, Jehovah, praise. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to meet together as your people, even as the Spirit of God indwells us and unites us to Jesus Christ, and he truly meets with us here. Lord, your church is lifted to join innumerable angels in festal gathering, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, the church here now militant, on mission, is lifted and joins the song of the church triumphant this morning as she's lifted into your presence. We pray that we would uh, approach your throne with awe at the majesty of Jesus Christ this morning. Pray that we would cherish him 
and stand in wonder at his power and his love for sinners like us. Pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Again in the Trinity Hymn Book 431. 431. One of the things we will hear in the consecutive reading of God's Word are the words of Christ when he says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And those that come to me I will in no wise cast out. What wonderful words of encouragement. We come to him just as we are, recognizing there's nothing found within us that would find us acceptable to the Heavenly Father except the righteousness of his dear Son which we receive by faith. And so just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. 431.
Amen. Well, in our consecutive reading from the New Testament, we uh, turn to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 6, and uh, starting in verse 22. Gospel of John, chapter 6, starting in verse 22. And as we're turning there and preparing to read, I want us to think about what a thrilling promise that we have in this passage that Christ is the bread of heaven and that he is ours and he is our eternal life. But as thrilling of a promise as this passage is, it's also a sober warning against coming to Christ for anything other than Christ himself. Jesus warns those who are listening to him, you've come to me because you ate bread. You've come to me because I provided something for you. But we see in this passage that it is a a long rebuke of that sort of coming to Christ. So even as we read today, I would ask you, why have we come here today? There are all sorts of reasons that we may have come here today. But unless we've come here because we want Christ, unless we've come here to feast our souls on the bread of life, who is Jesus, then we've come in vain. So let's read together. Starting in verse 22 of John chapter 6. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up. On the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So then the Jews grumbled about him, 
Because he said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in, it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he was from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? What then if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father, unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Thus far is the reading of God's word. This morning as we seek our God again together in prayer, we especially want to remember the Grace Baptist Church in Owensboro, Kentucky, with Pastor Carlson, Pastor Waldron, and Pastor Wilson. But we also want to remember Pastor Jeff Smith, who left on Wednesday to go to Pakistan, and he'll be ministering there over the next three weeks, be preaching at a pastor's conference these next few days, and then as we read in his letter, there are many people that he'll be meeting with, and just pray for his time there with Pastor Danielle and the church there, Grace Baptist Church in Islamabad. So let us 
Remember these things even as we go to prayer this morning. Our Father in heaven, again, how thankful we are for our Savior Jesus Christ. We're thankful that He was willing to give His life. And He gave His life as a ransom. He gave His life as that one upon whom You would pour out Your wrath for Your people. We thank You that He was willing to do that because through Him we now have life We have it abundantly. Through Him, we have a righteousness which is acceptable in Your sight. It's not a righteousness that's found in us, but the righteousness of Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, we give You thanks for such a marvelous gift that You've given to us of eternal life, the forgiveness of sin. And therefore, we pray this morning as we've gathered to worship that our thoughts and our minds would be upon our Savior and upon our Heavenly Father, that You would receive all the glory and the honor and the focus of all that takes place in this place this morning. And as we would desire that here, so we would desire it wherever Your people meet. We thank You that we have the assurance that as two or three are gathered in Thy name, There you are in the midst of them. And so we pray that here, along as with Grace Baptist there in Owensboro, Kentucky, that, Father, you will make your presence known, that there will be a sense of the work of your Spirit where your people meet, and that, Father, you would bless and even open eyes and open deaf ears, and may today be the day of salvation for some who know You not. So, Father, we pray that You'll continue to to bless the work there in Owensboro. We thank You for the new building that You recently gave to them. And we pray that You would use every square inch of that building for the advancement and the good of Your kingdom and of Your people. And then, Father, we would pray for Pastor Smith as he's there in Islamabad. We pray that You would watch over him and May You grant him safety. May You grant him the strength he needs as over the next few days he will speak many times to the pastors that will gather together there at Grace Baptist. And Father, may You use our brothers, brother to encourage them. And, and we pray that these pastors would take heed to the Word of God and implement the truth of God's Word into their assembly. We pray that you would be with Pastor Smith as he meets with various groups, even the opportunity he will have to speak with Muslims. And we pray, Father, that the gospel would be clear and that you would save some. Father, we pray for the other various groups, the the young uh, women and the men and, and, and other opportunities that you will give him. We pray you'll bless the preaching of your word on the Lord's Day as he labors to that end. But be with our brother. Watch over him. Give him the strength that he needs and use him for your glory and honor. Father, meet with us around your word. Help us to take heed to the word of God. Draw near to us from your word by the work of your spirit. And we'll give you the glory as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, take your...
hymns of grace, turning to 126, 126 in the hymns of grace, behold our God seated on his throne. Number 126, hymns of grace. Let's stand together as we sing. seated. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Deuteronomy chapter 33. This morning we, we come to the final words of Moses to the sons of Israel. You might recall that Moses has taught them a song. It is a song in which he has instructed them. He has warned them. It's a song about God's care and God's faithfulness towards them. But once Moses has finished the music lesson and taught them this hymn, 
we read these words. It's the words of Yahweh to Moses. And he says to him, go up to this mountain. This is still chapter 32, verse 49. And go up to this mountain of the Arabim, Mount Mebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho. And look at the land of Cana, which I am giving to the sons of Israel for possession And then die. Die on that mountain. For you will see. But you will shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the sons of Israel. So he has given them, the sons of Israel, this land. Moses, you're not going to go in, but I'm going to allow you to see it. And after the Lord spoke these words to Moses, Moses speaks to the children of Israel one last time. And I was thinking this week, what would Moses' final words be? And I say that because remember, Moses has been traveling with the children of Israel for some 40 years. He's listened to them complain. He's he's listened to them as they've doubted Jehovah. He's had to deal with them when they made an idol of a golden calf. He, He has become so frustrated with them at one point Instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes the rock, and therefore God says, you're not going to go into the land. And now God takes him up to this mountain and says, look, look down, there's that land flowing with milk and honey. There's that promised land that the children of Israel are about ready to go into. You can see it, but then die. And after those words, Moses turns to the people again and he speaks. And and, and at first thought, what might he say? I wonder what I would say after 40 years of dealing with a bunch of murmuring, doubting, discouraging people. Perhaps we would almost say, wow, we understand, Moses, if you become very harsh and angry. It wouldn't surprise us, Moses, if you would look at them and say, I hope you get what's coming to you. But the amazing thing is, as we noticed last week, Moses' last words to the children of Israel is an expression of his own heart. And he says, this is my desire for you. And this is what I'm asking God to do for you. This is the favor that I want God to shower upon you as you enter into that promised land. And as I thought about that, 
I thought, Lord, could I ask that when it comes time for me to die, I die with this type of disposition? I don't want to die as a grumpy old man who has just grown weary of dealing with people and know the frustration of murmurers and complainers. I want to die a happy man. And I want to die wishing God's favor and blessing upon His people. I'm amazed with Moses because his final words aren't harsh words. They're they're not cold words. They're not stern words. But they're words of love, care, warmth. He blesses the son of Israel that we noticed last week. But now, starting in verse 26, we have... His final, final words. And notice what he says. Follow with me. Verse 26. There is none like the God of Jerusalem who rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in His majesty. The eternal God is a dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. He drove out the enemy from before you and said, destroy. So Israel dwells in security. The fountain of Jacob secluded in a land of grain and new wine. His heavens also dropped down dew. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, who is the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. So your enemies will cling before you and you will tread upon their high places. Isn't it interesting that that as Moses sounds these concluding notes, there are two things that he emphasizes. There's the focus upon two things. Number one, your God is like no other God. There's no other God like Israel's God. And secondly, he sounds the note that there are no other people like God's people. These two things. There's no God like Israel's God, and there's no people like God's people. Those are the two notes he sounds with his last recorded words. And so he's telling the children of Israel, when you go into this promised land, remember that that there's no God like Yahweh. Remember, Moses has already warned them, do not forsake Yahweh. Do not turn away from Yahweh. He says here, there is none like the God of Jeruam. That term, Jeruam, is, is a term of endearment. 
It's, it's how Moses refers to the children of Israel. It's like a pet name you might have for a loved one. Darling. Sweetheart. Moses looks at these people and he says, and, and literally what the word means is upright. He, he's, he's, he's saying to them, you've got a God who is uncomparable to any other so-called gods as you walk uprightly, as you obey His Word, as you obey His commandments. But the focus isn't upon their uprightness. The, the focus is upon their great God. And, and the fact that there's no God like him. He is unlike any other. And that note has been sounded time and time again as we've gone through the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 35. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord, He is God and there is no other besides Him. Deuteronomy verse chapter 6 and verse Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The, the Yahweh is one. Chapter 32 and verse 39. See now that I, I am He, and there is no, un, no gods besides me. I am the living and the true God, and there's no God besides Him. This is why they were commanded... Thou shalt not make graven images. Why? Because how are you going to make God? I mean, you've got these gods, and, and we've been reminded they have ears, but they can't hear. They have a nose, they can't smell. They have a mouth, they can't, they can't taste. But well, what are you going to compare the living God to? The true one God. You, you can't make a likeness of Him because there is nothing that compares to Him. Now in these verses, Moses gives to his hearers an explanation of, of three marks of Yahweh that makes Him unique. Three marks that make Him unique. And, and Moses, as it were, paints a very attractive portrait of Yahweh for the sons of Israel. And here are the three marks that he sets down. Number one, he is the one who helps. He helps. We read, who rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in his majesty. Moses uses his poetry, prophetic language, as describing God as riding on a cloud like a chariot, and he comes down to help you. In the midst of your need, he will be there. As you cross the Jordan into the promised land, and you face those who already occupy that land, know this, 
that as an upright people, God will be there to help you. And and the thought is, as you read his language, the thought is he will come quickly. Anyone who is a parent or a grandparent may may understand it in this way, that, that if your children or your grandchildren call and say, I need your help, I'm in a desperate situation. Most of us would not reply, okay, but right now we're in the middle of supper. So once we get done eating supper and we get the dishes done, and then I think we got another couple errands, we'll be right there. No, if one of our children calls and says, I need you, we're there. Our dear brother Carlos is an example. Why is he in Atlanta today? He didn't go down there to watch the Braves. He went down there because his daughter needed help. And I, I didn't hear the conversation, but I would imagine it went something like, you know, she needs us, we got to go. So off they went. And this is what God says, or this is what Moses says concerning God. In your time of need, God is there to help. Look over to the 18th Psalm. David expresses the same thought. Psalm 18. Starting in verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. And I cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came to, into his ears. And then the earth shake, shook and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. And smoke went out of his nostrils, and fire from his mouth devoured Coals were kindled by it. He bowed, the, he bowed the heavens also and came down with thick clouds under his feet. He rode upon the cherubs and flew. He spread, sped upon the wings of the wind. He comes quickly. In my time of distress, I called upon him and he was there to help. He's a God like in no other God. Remember, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we have that story about Elijah as he challenged the prophets of Baal. And he says, call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of Yahweh. And and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And so the God, the, the people who are following Baal, cried out to him. We read they did it from morning till noon. They called for Baal to answer them. From morning till noon, they cried out to Baal for help. And and the Bible says there was no answer. There was no voice. In fact, Elijah begins to mock them. Uh, Maybe he's busy right now. Uh, Maybe he's gone on a journey. Perhaps that's the reason he's not answering you. He's gone on a little vacation. You've got to wait for a couple weeks. He'll be back. Maybe, maybe. Or maybe he's fallen asleep. 
And, and it's hard to, to arouse him, to wake him up. And, and so maybe cry a little hard. I don't know. Where, where's your God? And then we're told that Elijah built an altar, covered it with water. And he says, answer me, O Yahweh, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back again. And guess what? Fire came out of heaven and consumed the burnt offering. And it was said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord is God. He is our help. Secondly, we read, He is our shelter. Our shelter. A, a place of safety. Notice the language. The eternal God is a dwelling place and underneath are everlasting arms. Where do you go for a place of safety? Remember, these folks have been traveling for some 40 years. They had no homes. They had no dwellings. But here they're reminded that our God is our dwelling. He is our refuge. We run to Yahweh. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea and though the waters roar and foam and though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. As you enter into that promised land, sons of Israel, Know that God is your shelter. He's your protector. He's the eternal God. He he does not change. He is not limited by time or space. He loves you and cares for you. And in fact, that's, that's even expressed with the words, He is underneath He is underneath are the everlasting arms. You know, when when arms are expressed in the Scriptures, they they can and have, in the book of Deuteronomy, refer to God's judgment. Chapter 4 and verse 34. Chapter 7 and verse 19. Chapter 26 and verse 8. In all these references, it, it points to judgment. Using his arms. You know, it's like the guy who stands before you and says, Come on, let's go. But not here. Here the picture is not one of judgment. It's one of tender care. It's the picture of the mother who wraps her arms around her child and cuddles him or her close to the breast as an expression of love and care for that child. It's used here to express and embrace 
to carry. And it's eternal. His everlasting arms. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Sons of Israel, when you go into that promised land, He will be your refuge. Your shelter. Because He loves you. And cares for you. And finally, we see that He is the one who defends. He defends. And He drove out the enemy from before you and said, destroy. As you go into the promised land, they've already been told they're going to have to fight. There are going to be battles. The people that now occupy that land aren't going to fall down and die. There's going to be fights. But as you go into the battle, be confident in this. Not in your horses, not in your weapons, not in your military might, not in your military strategy. Be confident in this, that it is God who goes with you. That is spoken of by the prophet there in Second Chronicles chapter 32. Second Chronicles chapter 32, we read these words, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all the horde that is with him. For the one with us is greater than the one with him. With him is only the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord God to help us and to fight the battle. What do you want? Do you want to have arms of, of might? Or do you want to have God with you? Do not fear. What do they have? They have arms of flesh. You have God who will fight your battle. He will be victorious. So who is a God? Like Israel's God. He will be there to help you. He he will be there to shelter you. He He will be there to defend you. What what there are there are certain passages that one ought to just keep in mind throughout the day as we live in a world so hostile to the things of God. And this is certainly one of those passages. Be reminded of who your God is. Brother Micah has taken us through the attributes of God in his study. And I pray that that such messages aren't just to fill our heads with knowledge about God's omnipotence and his omniscience. and He's the God of all eternity and and he's a holy God and, and we can say these things. But but may that all the more cause you to be wanting to draw near to Him, to enter into a a close, intimate relationship with that God. And that's what Moses wants. He wants the people of Israel to be so taken up with God and the relationship that they have with Him. How many times does he use the word your, your fight, your, 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 your? It speaks of a relationship that they would have together. And that was Moses' desire for the sons of Israel. But then second, 
The second focus, there's sort of a change. He's gone from there's no God like Israel's God to now there are no people like God's people. There's no people like God's people. There's a shift in focus. And we've gone from the uniqueness of Israel's God to now he focuses upon the uniqueness of the people of God. He says there in verse 29, Who is like you? Who, who, who's like you? you? You're a unique people. And, and he reminds them of that reality. Who is like you people saved by the Lord? Happy are you. Notice he says, Blessed are you, O Israel. The English Standard Version translates it this way. Happy are you, O Israel. It, it's, a, it's, it's a statement of fact. It's, it's how it ought to be. It's not like what Paul says. You know, Paul says in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. That's a command. This is what you're to do. Rejoice in the Lord. Here, Moses says, this ought to be a reality. You ought to be a happy people. There should be no happier people on the earth than God's people. Looking at some of your faces, I'm not sure that's true, but, but it, it should be that way. There, there should be no happier people on the earth than God's people. And he, and he explains why. He says, so Israel dwells in security. In security. We are a blessed people because there's security. He's blessed us with security. The, the word that is used here is, is a compound word. The first word is, is that of, of pitching a tent or, or coming to rest. And, and the second word is that which means confident. So it means you rest confidently. And it's found in what we call the perfect tense, which means it is continual. You're not just secure for a moment. As God's people, you're, you're secure all the way through. There, there's security. Secondly, He's blessed us with provisions. Provisions in the land of grain and new wine. His heaven also drops down dew. God provides us with good things. And it's almost as though Moses is saying, there's no doubt about this. This is a land that God has promised you. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. That's going to be yours. How many times have we, we, we referred to those verses where he says to them, you go in, you listen to my voice, you obey me, and what will happen? You're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to drink from wells you didn't dig. You're going to eat produce that you didn't plant. All these will be yours as you go into this land. And God will provide it. You're to enjoy it. The things of the earth and even the dew from heaven. 
You're going to a land of, of grain and wine. Thirdly, they are a people blessed with salvation or deliverance. With salvation or deliverance. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. Where did we find Israel about 45 years earlier? Where were they? They were in Egypt, in bondage, slaves. And God drunk them out. God delivered them. And now God's taking them to the promised land. God was... And will continue to be your deliverer. Fourthly, the people of God are blessed with protection. With protection. Who is the sword of your help and the sword of your majesty? He will continue to watch over you. He he did not save you and, and now leave you alone. He will be there for you. Remember, that's one of the encouragements that Moses sets before the people. When you go into that land, I'm not going to go with you. And we would imagine some of them saying, wait a minute, we've only known you to be our leader. You've been the only one who has guided and directed us. Well, you you can't desert us now. And he said, I don't have a choice. God's not going to let me go in. I asked him again, will you let me go in? And he said, no, I'm not going to go with you. But you know what? God is going to go with you. He's not going to leave you. He will continue to be your protector. And then fifthly, the people of God are blessed with victory. With victory. So your enemies will cringe before you. And you will tread upon their high places. Some have translated this this way. You will stomp on their backs. You will stomp on their backs. It refers to a total and complete victory. So Moses says to the children of Israel, you are a blessed people. There's no one like you. You're a blessed people. You have security. You have provision. You have salvation. You have protection. You have victory. Who's a people like you? Now, there were these words. Remember, Jack, in chapter 28 and verse 1, Moses says this, Now it shall be. If you obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments, which I am commanding you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings will come to you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. And Moses His hope, his expression is that as you go into that land, you will be obedient. You will do what God says to do. You will follow his commandments. And if you do, 
their security. You'll be provided for salvation, deliverance, protection, and victory. These will all be yours. And that will make you a distinct people because of the uniqueness of your God. And as I've said in the past, wouldn't it be wonderful if if it sort of just stopped here? Just long enough to say, okay, the people crossed over Jordan and they went into the promised land. But we know what happens. They don't obey. They forsake God. They, They should have been the happiest people in the world. But they experienced the judgment of God over and over again because of their disobedience. Well, you see, the Old Covenant was temporal. The things God promised would would only happen as long as they lived, that they were going to die. It it was physical. You're going to get grain and new wine. It was conditional. If you obey. And they didn't. So God made a new covenant, a better covenant, that that now was eternal. It was spiritual. It was relational through Jesus Christ. And, And as you think about the favor that Moses says the people of Israel would enjoy, those very things are the things that the New Testament Israel, that the believers experience now in Christ Jesus. Think about that. And and as I was thinking about that, I I turned over to Romans chapter 8. Wonderful chapter. I think... Who was it? Was it J.I. Packer, Martin Lord? One of them said that, that, that Romans is, is the one of the best books in, in all Scripture. And, and Romans chapter 8 is, is one of the best chapters in, in the best book of Scripture. Because as you read down through Romans chapter 8, the, the people of God being united to Christ by faith, now we enjoy security. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am safe in Christ. I have confidence. Not because of anything found in me, but because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. I have security in Him. 
He has given me all that I need. I've been blessed with the provision that I needed more than anything else, and that's Jesus Christ. Romans 8 says, For what the law could not do, weak as it were, weak as it was through flesh, God did in sending his son in likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. What was my greatest need? In order to be found right with God, what did I need? I needed a righteousness. And God provided that in his son. There's salvation in Christ. Salvation in Christ. Being united to Christ, I've been delivered from the the power of sin. Sin no longer has dominion over me. I've been delivered from the penalty of sin. As, As Romans 8 says, I no longer walk by the flesh, but now I walk according to the Spirit. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. I'm declared innocent in the sight of God because of being united to Christ. Glorious salvation in Jesus Christ. There's protection. No one will snatch me out of his hand. No one. We read there in Romans 8, For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leaving to fear again, but you've received the power of adoption as the sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. I can go to the Father as a child who's dependent upon his his Father who loves him and cry out to him, and, and he's there for me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Romans 8.34 says, He intercedes for me. I love it when people say, Hey, we're praying for you. I'm glad. I delight in that. And I need them. But what a greater. Christ prays for me. He's interceding on my behalf. Such love. And then there's final victory. There's final victory. Romans 8 and verse 19. For I consider the suffering of this present time are not to be worthy to be compared with the glory that's yet to be revealed. There's a glory that's yet to be revealed. There in Romans 8 and verse 30 where he talks about those who he called he justified, he goes on to say, and those he justified, he glorified. It's it's done. It It doesn't say he will glorify them. It is as good as done. In Christ, this is what I have. Who's a people like we are? In Christ. Therefore, we should be the happiest people on earth. No matter what our circumstances, no matter how difficult things get, no matter what physical sufferings we go through, no matter what relational sufferings we go through, no matter how difficult things get at work, no matter how opposition to the things of God is is found in this world in which we live, 
As much as we look around and say the world has gone mad, it's crazy, we should still be the happiest people in all the world. Are we? I mean, if I lose everything tomorrow, and I'm not saying this is easy and I hope it doesn't happen, but but if I lose everything tomorrow, can I still find that happiness in Christ? Is he my joy? Too many professing Christians go around murmuring and complaining, grousing, I mean, sometimes I think, we almost think Christians are the most unhappy people in the world because of the way we act. I'm guilty. Blessed are you, O Israel. Blessed are you, O Israel. You've got a God like no other God. But not only that, the God that's like no other God, the the God who's there to help you, to shelter you, to defend you, isn't a God way out there. Even even as Micah took us through the attributes of God, I, I hope we didn't say, wow, that's a great God, but He's way out there. It's a God that I can have a relationship with. Can can you imagine a young man comes and says, Oh, I found the the girl of my dreams. She's like no other girl. Yeah? What's her name? I I don't know her name. Where does she live? I'm not sure where she lives. What's her personality? I, I I don't know. I've just spoke to her, never talked to her. But she's a girl like no other. You would say, man, you're missing something. You're missing something. I mean, for several weeks, I looked at this girl on campus and thought, man, I'd like to get to know her. And because of where I went to school, it took some work for me to finally get to get her name and and then enter into a relationship, and then marry her. Simply looking at a distance and admiring her, I guess was nice, but you know, (laughs) not exactly what I wanted. But to enter into a relationship with her has been such a blessing. And sometimes that's how we deal with God. God is a great God. God is omnipresent. And God is omniscient. And God, yes, that there is a sense of awe that comes with that realization. But oh, I want to know Him. Boast in this that I understand and know Him. I, I want a relationship with Him. Every day. And so yes, <laughs> there's no God like Him, but Moses says you can have a relationship with him and then he'll show favor upon you by granting these things to you. Security, protection, provision, victory. Why aren't we happier? 
we should be a happy people. And I trust we are. And maybe you're here this morning and the end of the day, you're not happy because you don't know him. Oh, you know about him, but you don't know. You don't, you've not entered into that relationship. And that relationship comes only through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And he stands ready. This morning we read it. Listen, here's what it says. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You flee to him. He's ready to receive you as you come to him in faith. And so these are Moses' last words. What glorious words. I sometimes daydream, you know. I'm at, I'm at that age where, you know, you, you think more about death. Some reason when you get to this age, you know, you start collecting that Social Security and you got a Medicare card for some reason. You just think more about death. And I think, oh, Lord, make me like Moses when I die. Let's pray. And now, our God, we pray that you would take your word and by the work of your spirit come and have dealings with us. Father, may we be a people who recognize we are so unique. We, we are a people like no other because we have a God like no other. It, it's not in and of ourselves that we're unique. It's because of the God that we serve who's unique that we are unique. And so, Father, we pray that these words would be words of encouragement to help us to live in this world enjoying our relationship with you, finding joy in you. People look for happiness so many places. They look for it in, in drugs and alcohol and they look for it in sex and everything else. But Father, eternal happiness only comes in knowing you. And so we pray that we might be a people who are happy people because of what we have in you. So take your words, use them, Bring glory to Yourself, we pray, as we ask these things in, in Your Son's name. Amen. Well, in closing, take Your Hymns of Grace. Hymns of Grace. 364. 364, How Firm a Foundation. And, and what you will find as we sing this hymn together, I don't know if you've ever noticed, that every verse is a promise to the people of God. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed. When, when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. That soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its these are the promises God gives to you. What a blessed people we are. And so let us stand together and sing 364 hymns of grace.
We are a blessed people. Happy, I trust we can say, are the people of Reformed Baptist Church of America in light of what they have in God. We are having lunch together, and then after lunch, an afternoon service around the Lord's table. 